0: Feel the peppery tingle. Limited time, so get in fast. The rooster's calling. It's Saturday lunchtime, which means it's crunch time on SEN.
2: Yeah, it is a Saturday afternoon. It is crunch time. It's all thanks to Isuzu and Red Rooster, new spicy wings. Feel the peppery tingle. I have felt the peppery tingle. It's quite good. I like the peppery tingle. Limited time, so get in fast. The rooster is calling. A big welcome to the listeners across the SEN network, including... Uh, At 10.53am, SEN Track, Brisbane. Nick Davis is going to eat my sausage roll. Leave it alone, Davis. It's half-eaten too, by the way. It's just ridiculous. 16.20am, SEN up there on the Gold Coast, as well as all the listeners on the SEN app and the SEN podcast. We've got an SEN podcast now. Crunch time, I tell you what. Uber Uber producer Brooksy has done it again. If you're the Uber producer, Brooksy, what you do is if you if you're down a couple of men, you draft in the whoever you can from the existing stable. So that's where I come into play. Hello, Jimmy Smith here on a Saturday afternoon. But if you're the Uber producer, you go straight to the top of the pile, and the top of the pile for us is Dean Witters, the great former Rooster, former Eel, former Castleford Tiger. And of course, the former Rabbitoh and now current Rabbitohs women's coach. Great to have him here on a Saturday afternoon. G'day, Dino.
1: G'day, mate. Uh, fantastic to be here in a great week. Indigenous round to talk about some footy and and share some memories, I suppose, from the past and just have a yarn. On. I'm looking forward
2: to it. Hey, a little birdie told me that you actually go a ride right on the yarn too, and I don't want to say what his name is, but I tell you what, he's um, one of Parramatta's finest, and he was in last night. So. Uh, there's a clue for you. So what's tell us what you're up to now. Besides, of course, it's almost a full-time job, isn't it, looking after Katie Brown at the South Sydney women's
1: Yeah, team. a lot of hair pulled out. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of stressful moments with her. She's 100 miles an hour. So um, yeah, I think you, you get that example of her on radio. She's oh, yeah. full of energy, great personality, positive person. Um, and in rugby league, she's in a rush to learn it all, 1,000 miles an hour, and her patience isn't there. But um, I'm, I'm working at the NRL. I'm pathways manager over there, so I've worked pre- predominantly in the female pathway space. Massive challenge this year with the, with the predicted growth of the NRLW um, to develop probably up to 100 female players to, to be on that stage by the end of this season. So... Um, f- Op- fantastic opportunity you know and you see the rise of of the women's game and the young athletes that are coming into the game in the female space it's it's amazing it's exciting place to work and and that's what I do during the week.
2: What's that look like so we're going from first three years we've had four teams in there and I, I guess it's a little bit of okay you don't want to be ungrateful but it's a little unsatisfying we have the AFL sort of put a little bit of pressure on and say hey we're going to have 18 teams uh in a couple of years time but um, what, what's going to be the plan for the end of this year? Have we got confirmation around that, Dino?
1: Not confirmation yet, and I, I, I think the NRL has got to be commended on the, the patience they've shown with it. We weren't ready to go more than four teams. You know, we were, we were a game that's developing. Our pathway wasn't clear. Right, um, we didn't have a, a real elite sort of system at that time. Um, and we're relying on, on, on girls to, to still sacrifice a lot to play at that level. So we had to build it slowly. And I think it's, it's been a great progression. This week's gonna be, this year's going to be a massive challenge if it does go up to six teams, as everyone's predicting. Yeah. So, But I think we're ready for it. And there's some fantastic athletes out there playing our game now and the professionalism that they show. And if we can showcase that on the, on the biggest stage this year, Jesus is going to do a lot to boost our numbers in the junior grade and, and across in other states where, where we're not strong yet. I think... <laughs> Our Women's Rugby League could be the key to getting South Australia, Victoria and some of these places.
2: As a casual observer, and I've called a few of the NRLW games and, and there was only those four sides, there was quality. So every player didn't look out. There was not one player that looked out of place. And yet, if I watched a bit of AFLW, I looked at that when they had the 12 teams, I think it was, or 10 or 12 teams when they first came in, and I thought, oh, some girls here aren't quite up to it. So it took away from the product a little bit. That wasn't the case with NRLW. Um, And when you watch the Australian women's sevens team that, of course, famously won the gold medal at Rio, you just thought, wow, skill set is unbelievable. But as has been explained to me, part of that is because they were there in a professional sense for an extended period leading up to that, which is what you're getting at with more and more girls coming into the, the pathway for the NRLW and therefore getting themselves up physically and mentally to be able to compete at that level.
1: Yeah, Well, when we first started that, we would have had a lot of girls playing that would have stopped playing rugby league at 12 years of age yes. and then hadn't taken the game up again until they are 18. So they had a six-year gap. Now what we're seeing is with our, you know, our competitions that exist for New South Wales Rugby League for females all the way through to their to the senior football, but also the Tasha Gale competition, particularly here in New South Wales, the Lisa Fiola where you have our Pathways clubs playing at our NRL clubs, putting teams in. The development of our young players now is fantastic. So mm. the young girls that you're seeing come through and that you'll get a glimpse of this year that have been part of that system... They're tremendous young rugby league players, and they're, they're, it's exciting to think what we're going to develop in the next 10 years. And I'm looking forward to the thing I look forward to most is we'll start to poach some of those rugby union players back, the AFLW players. We'll start to get them interested because I was at the national championships recently where Victoria and South Australia did some of that stuff. They poached girls and and in the WA team that won the national champs, they poached some girls from um, the Western Force and you can see they love rugby league and they're really keen on the growth of our game and where it's all headed. So some real opportunities for females who are passionate about their sports Rugby League could be the, the key for their career pathway in the next few years.
2: Well, I know Charlotte Kaslik, who's almost the poster girl for the Rugby Union. She, of course, played last year in the NRLW. I think she picked up an injury, didn't she, first game yep. for for the Roosters. But uh, 1-300-01-1170, if you want to give us a call on that, 457 Round 12 of the National Rugby League, Indigenous round. Dino, I know I spoke to you on Thursday, new audience today, uh, so... What does it mean for you to Indigenous round as a as a proud Indigenous man?
1: There are a few different things, I suppose. I think one, I'm really proud of what the game does for Indigenous communities. You know, it's and I'm not I'm talking to everyone there. You know, the the non Indigenous coaches that I grew up with that put so much into to my development and, and helping us young Aboriginal boys back home in Armidale. Like, I think it's a recognition of what the game does for our communities. Yeah, I think it's also a recognition of you know the impact that our players have had at the top level and yes. and what they, what the excitement they bring to rugby league. And you certainly see a lot of that highlighted this week, the past players, you know, the, that brought that X factor and that magic to the game. I think we, we see a lot of that. And then then also an opportunity for us all to to highlight um, the issues that are in the indigenous community and, and places where I suppose as a country, we can get better. We can look at those things and and through rugby league, we've always had that platform to speak and it's great this week that, you know, a lot of the clubs have gone out of their way to highlight that to their fans. Um, and everyone looks at it and goes, well, how can we help? And yeah. how can we grow? And how can we be better?
2: Yeah, pass back, move forward. That's the theme from last year. It's been extended this year by the National Rugby League. Um, can uh, we had Steve Renoff during the week and he wrote on NRL.com about why he thought there's a massive overrepresentation representation of Indigenous players in, in the National Rugby League. It's actually the same in the AFL. As well, he gave his thoughts on why. Do you ever do you have a theory as to why there isn't a, an overrepresentation of Indigenous players?
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we come with that athleticism straight away yeah. because um, it's in it's in our genes, it's in our bloodlines. Because our, our people hunter gatherers, you know, they're out there and they'd have to anticipate movements of animals and yeah. and know how to seek out the, an opportunity and and look for and also then be able to you know chase a kangaroo around and stuff like that. It <laughs> would take a fair <laughs> bit of athleticism, so yeah. that sort of stuff came. Um, uh, from our traditional uh, bloodlines yeah. but also think you know rugby league came along to our communities when our communities were probably at their weakest point over the last couple of hundred years you know and and now it, it gave our, our people something to to cling to in this modern world and um, our people came together to play the sport after sort of their traditional lives had been taken away yeah so they had that passion for the game and the game saw the game as a real outlet from a long time ago so and that still exists you know our people use the game as a way of pulling themselves together in communities but also a way of standing up for themselves so uh, I think we've just got that real love affair with rugby league in in the aboriginal community
2: is there anyone in particular I know you tell a great yarn about um, how you were signed at the roosters and you might want to repeat that for our listeners today but um, is there anyone in particular as you were coming through as as a young player that you looked up to
1: um, you know, I I, uh, I loved uh, watching Cliffy Lyons as a kid. I was a Manly fan, and and Cliffy Lyons was like God, you know, and yeah. he was just a amazing player. Um, some of the players that I looked up to was Andrew Walker at the at the Roosters when yeah. we were coming through. Yeah. Remember those good old days? And uh, you know, he was just super f- freakishly talented, and did everything so calmly, but also had that confidence, you know, that, that, that our people could belong at that level. Because I came down as a, a young kid, and I felt intimidated from the moment I arrived at the Roosters. I, I, I didn't know whether so I'd ha- ever how make old,
2: it. What year was that? How old were you? I was
1: 17. So I was, I was 17 when I came down. I was in my fi- just about to start my final year of school. Right. Yeah, so I came down to the Roosters, and it was just, you know, I'd always wanted to be an NRL player, but when I got there and I saw – you know, how fit and big and strong everyone was and how good they were. I, I really lacked a little bit of belief that, oh, jeez, I don't know if I'm going to make it. But Andrew Walker sort of took it all in his stride. And yeah. for him, it was playing games, you know. He was having yeah. fun at training and all that sort of stuff. And he, it was just being himself. So I thought he gave me a little bit of that belief that, you know, maybe I can make it there one day.
2: He was playing as a 17-year-old in the Galloping Greens team, the Ranwick side of the late 80s. He was 17 years of age. Lloyd Walker was an Australian... Representative, He was he was probably more of a 5'8", but he got pushed to inside centre because Andrew Walker was there, the 17-year-old. Simon Poitivan, Michael Checker, David Campisi, all these guys. in, And here's this 17-year-old pulling the strings as the 5'8". What about your recruitment to the Roosters? Tell us how that came about. Yeah,
1: so big Artie Beetson. So I, ah. I, I had a few clubs sort of trying to sign me from the country. And um, Artie Beetson made the trip up to Armidale. And he drove up there and he came up there and had dinner with my, with my dad and my mum. And I just, the words were from my dad, you know, if, I, if it's good enough for Artie Beatson to drive all the way to Armidale and come and have dinner in our house, well, you're going to be going to the Roosters. And, um, you know, the best thing I could have ever done in my life, because Artie Beatson was just, he's, he's something else for all footballers. Yeah. And particularly for us in the Indigenous space, um, there wasn't anyone better. And to come down, and I got the opportunity to live with Artie. We, we shared oh, wow. a fair few uh, T-bone steaks, mate, I tell you. <laughs> First night in, he cooked four 4 T-bones. I thought people were coming over for dinner. <laughs>
0: it was only two each for me and him, and they were massive.
1: And a little bowl of salad, and he said, uh, put some salad on your plate too, but there was no room for salad on, on, on those plates. But, yeah, I loved it. You know, just any time I got to spend with Artie... Um, I made sure I soaked it all up when I was a young fella and, and I loved it. And, uh, you know, we all miss him, you know, we all miss him. This, this time of year is particularly when you, when you really do miss him a lot.
2: Yeah, he's such a special person. I, I had the great fortune of being coached by Artie for a little while. Uh, and and he was uh, just a charismatic figure. Peter Sterling tells a story in, in his book that was written 30 years ago. But when Arthur went to Parramatta, you know, he was this giant of a figure and, and, and everyone was just drawn to him and... Um, Sturlow would play him in squash, and like, he's a and Arthur would absolutely towel him up because he, he's control of the ball and just just moving him around the court couldn't get past him.
1: Yeah, guns squash player, gun and he used to player. play play all over the eastern suburbs and a bit of a champion, Artie. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was an amazing person.
2: Yeah, uh, my favourite, well, Johnny Peard, and he of course spent years and years playing. Um, Calling the game for the ABC, uh, which I think for a lot of people growing up as kids, and certainly for me, that was a staple of a Saturday afternoon three o'clock. Yeah. Warren Boland calling play by play, and Arthur Beaton sitting next to him, and Johnny Peard on the sideline. So um, that that's what I grew up with, and and they of course were great mates and played in those great Roosters sides uh, of the seventy four seventy five. But um, Johnny Peard tells, a, he, I know it's very much tongue in cheek, but he tells a yarn. They spent so many. Hours just driving, you know, mm. driving up to Armidale to recruit young Dean Witters and, and all around the state to spread the word of rugby league. And they were in the car one day, and and Pearty said, uh, "You know, what what would you do if you what would you do if you uh, you were told you were, um, you know, it was all about to end, uh, and, and you only had thirty minutes thirty minutes left on the planet. What what would you do?" And and Arthur said, "I'd make love to the first thing that moved." Right. And he said, oh, okay. What would you do, John? Arthur asked him. He said, Well, I wouldn't move for thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they were funny too, weren't they? Oh, Johnny they had Pied. a great one too.
1: And it's 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 something I suppose the the young people of today's rugby league they miss out on on the characters that were around back in those days. You, you know, the Artie Beatsons, the Johnny Pears. I remember Steve Edge out at Parramatta. he was yeah. a funny man and you do, they could entertain you. They could get up and grab a microphone and, and keep you entertained for hours, them guys.
2: You might be able to tell us, how's it changed? You were down here in the late 90s, uh, and now you're coaching you're in the system. I know you're in the women's system, but uh, obviously there's parallels around that, and you've, you've been around the, the men's game as well. How how has the game changed? Well, I haven't been around it for so
1: long. Yeah, I think the scrutiny on the players, it's it's the biggest thing. Um, uh, and the the standards that we hold these players to now in all, all their behaviour, which which a lot of it is rightly so. Yeah. But also just in their personalities. I think people are so quick to judge people and um, the fun part of it is, is something that's probably missing a little bit. It, it is so serious now that they don't get to have the fun that we did back in those days. And, uh, um, you know, it's it's part of, I think, professionalism and part of modern day sport it's so competitive now for all sorts of sports to compete for sponsorship dollars for fans for participation numbers for young kids coming through that yeah um we've got to hold high standards on everything with our players and um sadly that sees you know things like players um the funny side of them and and, and some of that sometimes that's that's what we, we've got to, the price we've got to pay
2: is it fair or it just is
1: I think it just is, mate. It's yeah. it's, it's not fair. And we talk to players about this all the time. I know yeah. I talked to a lot of the young Indigenous boys. Um, you can talk about whether it's fair or not all day, but it's reality, and that's what the expectations are out there. Um, and we we represent more than just a footballer and more than just someone playing a game. Um, those jerseys and the NRL emblem and and the opportunity we get to influence kids it's a, it's a high responsibility and. Um, unfortunately for some players, they didn't, they didn't really want to buy into that. They just wanted to play the game. Yeah. But our game's more than that. We always say the game's more than that and the players have got to understand it and,
2: and right or wrong, it's, it's just the way it is. Yeah. Big show today. Big show today. And, of course, uh, you can have your say, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. one You can get us on the text line as well, zero four five seven seven three six seven three six. We might ask... Pla- Favourite Indigenous players?
1: Favourite Indigenous players? Favourite, uh, well, so obviously uh, Cliffy, Cliffy was, Cliffy was one of the, one of the main ones growing up. Um, I love Greg Inglis. When Greg Inglis first started coming through, I was just amazed. Did you, pl- you didn't play with Oh team. yeah, I played against you him. Pl- he, le- he left his handprint on my chest a few <laughs> times, i tell you. <laughs> debut games, both times. I played him in a, uh, the first time he ever played in a trial for the storm. Yeah. And he, and he, he palmed about three of us off to score a try. And then his actual debut game was against us at Para 2, Melbourne versus Parra. And he, um, and he did some damage in that game too. So I knew all about him earlier. So, uh, But he was just fantastic to watch. I don't think we'll, we'll ever see someone like that for a long time. He uh, was such a mix of
2: power and athleticism. It was unfair. Yeah. Yeah, That's what yeah. I have to say. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. unfair
1: <laughs> to, that, that a guy could run out and he'd be bigger and stronger than the front rowers, yeah. faster than the wingers, Yeah. and then just have this uh, confidence and ability to be able to just time it all and 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 – explode when he wanted to, and I, I never saw Mal Ingra on a football field, you know, opposite yes. him, but they, you know, we obviously seen him on television and he had that same sort of presence and aura, and I'd say Greg Inglis is probably the closest thing that I've seen to someone who just like that. If, when, if he wanted to, he could just do things that other players on the field could not do.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, for me, Laurie Daly. So, Laurie Daly was from Junie. I was from Kudamundra. He was a couple of years above us, and, and every year from the under-7s to the under-15s, Junie Diesel's played the Cootamundra Bulldogs in that, in Laurie Daly's age group grand final. And every year Junie won. He, he was every just unstoppable, year. wasn't he?
1: He, he? he had it all, Laurie Daly. He was just timing, speed, you know, ability to p- ball play. And then they put him in a bloody great team like the Raiders yeah. back then. And I, I just, it was a great career to watch Laurie. And the best thing I think I used to love about Laurie was when he would take on Mal in Origin every year. And the two captains from the same team and... um. You know, remember, Loz's uh, going off saying Mel gets everything in that in that pre-game speech. That was one of my favorite moments as a young kid growing up when young Loz was ready to take the title off Mal. and uh, yeah, he he was he was tremendous. To watch. There's there's a lot of them out there, isn't there? A lot of Indigenous players over the years. When yeah. David Peachy was just outstanding. Andrew Walker. I don't think there's been many players that have been as freakish as Andrew Walker. No. Some of the stuff that he can do, and Freddie talks a lot about uh, yeah, you know his ability and. And what you used to see at training and the things that that bloke could just naturally do, uh, unbelievable, you know. It was, it was, the list goes on and
2: on. Yeah. I, the other one, so Laurie Daly was for me um, because of that connection with watching him play at June E. And the other one was Matty Bowen, you know, because you sort of – you love the players that can do the things that you, you just can't. Like, that's that's one of the attractions for them. And his speed and agility – and I'll never forget, they were playing the Warriors one day, and this and – this, went to the personality of Matty Bowen. They were playing the Warriors and the ball went over the sideline and he was racing across and ended up going off and he sort of almost f- fell into the cheerleaders. The cheerleaders were sitting on the sideline and and in, he turned around and then he went back and picked up the chair for the cheerleader that he knocked over and just made sure she was okay. I thought, in the middle of an NRL game, what are you doing? Yeah, but it was fantastic. It was just representative of the way he felt.
1: Mate, and him and Thurston's combination. Like, I went to Townsville plenty of times and, you know, Plenty of teams did, and they just mesmerise you. Yeah. Thurston and, and Bowen, you do all this work all week on video and watch for this and watch for that. And you get up there, and at halftime, you'd be standing and go, all right, it's 22-0 down, and what did we miss? Because the, Bowen scored two or three tries off, off Thurston already, and yeah. they just blow you off the park, those, t- those two. And um, they were, it was a combination um, that everyone loved in rugby league back in those days, Thurston and Bowen.
2: 0457 736, 736 As I mentioned, big show coming up. Michelle Bishop from Channel 7 uh, and from 1170 SEN. So much news around in rugby league. We'll have a chat to her. Dave Rico as well. Sean Timmons is somewhere. Like, he's on his way, Brooksy. I mean, you're an Illawarra boy. Where is he? Where is he?
0: I think he's just passing Helensburg right now. <laughs> he might have just stopped in for a pie. Good pie store Good pie, there. It? Why wouldn't you yeah. have the Galos here? I think he's he needs one now. Oh,
2: and then it getting him through for yeah, the guys. Right. No, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So we'd we'd encourage that. Uh, yeah. So Timo will be along for a chat as well. Who's this guy you're talking to, Jimmy? <laughs> he's a beauty. That's from Murph. I tell you who it is, Murph. It's Dean Witters. He's a, a former rooster, a rabbit, an eel, a Castleford. Tiger, you better, how, I how love you the way you say that too. Well, that's how they the, say it over the, the there, Cass, don't they?
1: Yeah, exactly right. Cass Tigers, watched them this morning. Sixty-two to six, they got beaten by Leeds. <laughs> I don't know what was going on because they've been one of the top teams over the last few years over there. Um, Cass, and aren't uh, they into a
2: Challenge Cup semi-final?
1: Uh they got beat. Did they? They got beat. Yeah. So. Well, they're uh, rubbish now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, they um great. Great rugby league town, and I love my time in England. It was, it was a place I think I was meant to go and play footy because I absolutely loved it over there and made great friends and got plenty of friends for life.
2: The jungle. The was jungle. That, that's where they used yeah. to play, Castleford. Little,
1: it's like a little country town, it little is. ground, yeah. And the it ground's is. right on top of you, the atmosphere in there. It's, you can go to an Origin game and have 100,000. Yeah. Won't compare to having the, the jungle packed, I tell you.
2: Oh, my favourite story about Castleford was um, – Mal Really, the great Mal Really played for them. And when Sturlow was over there playing for Hull in 1985, so Sturlow played one season at Hull. Um, they made the Challenge Cup final. They say it's the greatest Challenge Cup final of all time, 1985. It was it was Wigan v Hull. I think Johnny Ferguson got two tries for Wigan, and Brett Kenny was the. Um, Lance Todd trophy winner a, as player of the match. And Sturlow played the one season at Hull and he's in their uh, team of the century, yeah. right? So th- that's what they thought of him. Mal Reilly was playing for Castleford at the time. And I think they were, they were either playing them in a in a league game or in a, in a cup game. And so he realised how dangerous he was. So he organised when they were waiting in the tunnel to run out to have the lights shut off. So he just went down the line, down the line, trying to find Sturlow and then tried to build him
1: (laughs) (laughs) him before
2: the game.
1: That'll be something someone from Castlefoot to do, (laughs) mate. I'm telling you, it's a tough little town. Oh, isn't it? For all the tricks in, Cass. one
2: one 1170 But the gold medal team in Rio were playing rugby union, Jimmy. Yes, I know that. I I think I made mention (laughs) of the fact that they were playing rugby union. But Charlotte and Elia Green did Ilya she Green. play she yep, played Warriors. for uh, the Warriors and there yeah, was another Palete, one that,
0: Palete, yeah. Yes yes
2: man. yes so yeah there was a couple of girls and I know that was a function of not being able to travel around with the the World Sevens but that's all they wanted to do was play some footy and in particular I know uh, Charlotte's dad Don Mad Bulldogs fan so he's up there in uh, in Queensland so uh, he loves his rugby league as well tell me about what you were doing with the books do remember there was there was times you were uh, I don't know it was an NRL program but it was encouraging I think not just Indigenous communities but Indigenous communities uh, in particular about making sure you're doing your reading.
1: Yeah, well, I think the author, Alan Duff, of the Once Were Warriors story, he, um, oh, yeah. he used to take books out and they called it a Books in Homes program in New Zealand where they'd take books out to, um, you know, low, uh, impoverished areas yep. or, or, or places where a lot of at-risk children were and they just gave books to these children to take home so that they had books in their homes to promote reading. And Indigenous kids are the same sort of thing, and especially in remote and rural areas. So over here, I sort of started a bit of a, a program towards getting um, reading into Aboriginal communities yeah. and in the house um, and get people to donate books back in the days. And then NRL uh, had a rugby league reads type program on so, the back so of it So what, that.
2: you just started that yourself?
1: Oh, it was started by other people, obviously, in New Zealand. We just sort of just copied the idea yeah, and just right. wanted to promote it here. So I would go around to different country towns and, and try and raise money do fundraisers, whatever it is, where people could come in and donate money. They would all go towards buying these books to hand out to these young kids in school and they'd take them home, have them in their houses. Just, and, and the kids got to choose the books. They right, read for right. a catalogue and yeah, all this sort of yeah. stuff. So And then the books would come. You know, it was like when you're a young kid to get a new, brand new book. Oh, it was nice mm-hmm. and shiny and couldn't wait to take it home and, and read it and stuff like that. So it was a re- really good little simple little thing. But um, good program, and I hope that it helped a lot of kids.
2: I heard during the week that Eric Carl passed away, aged 91. Now, Eric is the author of The Very Hungry Caterpillar, which was about the first book that we had in our home with the kids. I don't know whether it's just a story about a caterpillar that eats and eats and eats and then turns into a beautiful butterfly. Yeah. But <laughs> it's that introduction into reading. Our, all of our kids
1: love that book. Yeah, and, you know, the earlier you can start, yeah. the better, with anything around education. So to to have those sort of things... In the household, and you know, to to buy into the magic of reading a book. Yeah. Um. And, and it was reading was something. My mum's a school teacher, so reading was ah. something that I did at a young age, yeah, yeah. and I loved reading. I, I used to get all the footy books. So I had that Sterlow book. Where did you? <laughs> yeah, at had had Sterlow. I had Wally King, Wally. Yes, you know, King had, Wally. Had all, yeah, would yeah, Wayne yeah. Pierce's book. i bought them all as a kid. I used to. That was one of my favorite things to do when I got money was. To go and buy footy books, I just wanted to read about all these footy players. And Wally had three books out. I think
2: yeah. he did. Wally had a book. He, uh, Wally had a book that came out after the eighty six Kangaroo tour yeah. called King Wally, and then the, the other one Wally was and Wally and the Broncos. Yeah, uh, Wally
0: Strikes Back. Yeah. <laughs> there was a few. <laughs> no,
2: it wasn't Wally. <laughs> uh, Return
0: of the Wally. Yeah. But that's how I, That's how I got in. David Middleton's books. Yeah. started I think in nineteen eighty seven, okay. and Sterlow was on the cover of that first one that I read. And my grandma used to give it to me every Easter because they sort of came out a bit late when the season started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was great. Like all these yarns about every game because you couldn't cover every game on TV back then. And he had a write-up for every game. All the stats, tries, goals, points. He had kangaroo tour stories, had all the Australian players over the years. Sport does resonate with kids, particularly if you play it or you watch it. And it's a great way to get into reading. No. All right. Hey, You're absolutely right. There's our talk topic for today, one three hundred o one eleven seventy. one What
2: was your first books, your first books that you were reading? Uh, don't have to be sport-related if they are. If it's Sterlo's book, uh, fantastic. If not, you'll be able to buy them at all good bookstores, apparently at all the bad bookstores as well, mm. Dino, so that's uh, handy for him as well. one 300 one eleven seventy. Keep the text coming in. Brooks, I think he's out there organising a prize to give away for that, Zero four five seven seven three six. Seven three six. By the way, download the SEN app and you can listen to Crunch Time anytime, anywhere. That's via the uh, the podcasts as well. Just before we go to our our first break, Dino, um, how are you? You all right? Because you were coaching last night and the result didn't quite go your way.
1: Yeah, so we we jumped to a, we played the West Tigers at Bank West last night and we jumped to a twelve nil lead after seven minutes and it was it was looking Whoa. fantastic, and then uh, twenty eight points came past us the other way and we just. Went a little bit off, off our plan and got a young, inexperienced team at, at the Rabbitohs in the women's space. Our, our team's really sort of new to this sort of standard and level of playing and um, we, we're like that a bit at the moment. Okay. We're, we're still, I always say, I think we're, we're, uh, we're a couple of hundred hours of games, yes. pressure games, pressure training,
2: yes. um,
1: football knowledge, all that sort of stuff. We're still a couple of hundred hours off getting to that standard. So we've just got to have people who are patient and ready to persevere and and keep learning, and that, that will get us there in the end.
2: Are the Rabbitohs going to be one of the new license holders? Or not to be, yeah, it hasn't been determined yet? It hasn't again? been
1: determined yet. Uh, I'd say the Rabbitohs are more long term plan, right. at, sort of 2023. Okay. I think South have got the right idea with it um, just to, to keep building football in the local area, wait till their centre of excellence already over yeah, there. Yeah, over yeah. Yeah. So it'd be a bit premature for Rabbitohs to be you know, pushing hard for a license this year. But I dare say in a few years' time, um, when once they've got everything up and running, because um, there's a lot of talent in that South Sydney area. You know, obviously we see it for the boys, but yeah, the yeah. young girls that are playing all throughout that area are talented. and. W- um, once we've got the pathway in check there, I think the Rabidais could be a really prominent um, team in the NRLW.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. it looks like there's a race jumping somewhere. Some, <laughs> so, somewhere so, sorry, Brooksy, I don't know how that happened. Uh, actually, I do know exactly how it happened. But anyway, hey, we've got Michelle Bishop coming up very shortly. This is Crunch Time brought to you by Isuzu, the three-liter Isuzu, D-Max, born to live, and, of course, Red Rooster. Try their new spicy wings. The Rooster is calling. We'll take a break. We'll be back with Michelle.